Section number 29 of The Sainted Queens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio. The Sainted Queens by Unknown. St. Elizabeth of Hungary, Chapter 11. The tidings of the canonization of St. Elizabeth spread far and wide throughout Europe, and pilgrims from all countries came to bring their prayers and offerings to her shrine. One of the most touching instances of exertion of her miraculous power after death, in behalf of sorrow and suffering, was vouchsafed to a simple and pious couple from her own native country, Hungary. They had lost their only child, and on the night of her death, after a day spent in weeping and mourning, they retired to rest. It was long before either could sleep, but at last the heavy slumber of sorrow closed the poor mother's eyes, and in her sleep she saw a vision which bade her take her dead child to the tomb of St. Elizabeth in Germany. When she awoke, she said to her husband, let us not bury our poor little one, but carry her in faith to St. Elizabeth, by whom the Lord worked so many miracles, that by her prayers she may be restored to life. Her husband consented, and on the morrow, when all the neighbors were assembled to see the child carried to the parish church, the parents, regardless of their astonishment and ridicule, set off for Marburg with the body of their child carefully wrapped up and laid in a basket. The Lord had compassion on their sorrow and their faith, and while they were yet on their way to the sanctuary of his beloved servant, restored their child to life. The poor people did not forget, in their overwhelming joy, their debt of gratitude to their blessed patroness, but accomplished their long pilgrimage, taking with them the living and joyous form which had left Hungary a cold and lifeless corpse. Their daughter, when grown up, became a nun in the convent of Dominicanuses at Radisbon, of which she was afterwards prioress, and where she was still living, in great reputation for sanctity, at the time of the historian who has recorded this miracle. At the other extremity of Europe, in far distant England, there was a noble lady who, after a union of twenty years, was left by her husband's death a childless widow. To comfort herself in her lonely state, she adopted twelve orphan children, upon whom she lavished all the tender cares of the fondest mother. Whenever she met any poor or suffering object, she gave him an alms for the love of God and St. Elizabeth, for she had heard of the dear saint in her distant northern home, and her heart clung to her with a love beyond that which she bore to any one on earth, or to any other saint of God in heaven. In her honor she cut off her hair, and wore always a coarse gray habit like hers, and day and night she meditated upon her holy life. At last, when God so willed it, this noble and virtuous lady died, and as her friends stood weeping around her bed, her confessor told them that they ought to carry her body to the tomb of St. Elizabeth, for that in her lifetime she had vowed to make a pilgrimage hither. Her friends obeyed the injunction and traversed sea and land with the body, until, at the end of seven weeks' time, they arrived at Marburg. There they invoked the saint with great fervor, when the pious lady suddenly returned to life, saying, "'How happy I am! I have rested upon the bosom of St. Elizabeth!' Her friends wished to take her back to England, but she refused to leave the spot sanctified by the presence of her heavenly friend. She lived there for fifteen years longer, leading a life of great sanctity, but in absolute silence, never speaking to anyone but her confessor. When he asked her why she had laid this obligation upon herself, she replied, When I rested upon St. Elizabeth's bosom, I tasted so sweet a joy that I can never henceforth think of anything else but how to regain it. The Foundation of the Noble Church which, cold and deserted as Protestantism can make it, still bears her name, was laid by the saintly penitent Conrad a few months after the canonization of St. Elizabeth. It is one of the most beautiful specimens remaining of the most perfect style of Gothic architecture. The body of the humble saint remained for three centuries in its place of stately rest beneath the lofty aisles of that glorious temple, guarded by the good swords of the Teutonic Knights, the sworn and consecrated defenders of the faith. At last the spoiler came, and the Grand Master was compelled to stand by in stern and indignant sorrow, while the Landgrave of Hesse, the friend of Luther and the worthless descendant of the saint, rifled the costly shrine which contained her relics, 
for the sake of the gold and gems with which it was encased. It was the same year which witnessed this act of unnatural sacrilege that the miserable man obtained a dispensation, signed by Luther and seven other evangelical theologians assembled at Wittenberg, to marry two wives at a time. The relics of St. Elizabeth were afterwards restored by command of the Emperor Charles V to the Grand Master of the Teutonic Knights, but a great portion was found to be missing, and from that time their dispersion has been complete. The heart had long before been sent to Cambrai. The skull is preserved at Besançon. Other portions are venerated in Hungary, and at Hanover, Vienna, Cologne, and especially at Breslau, in the chapel dedicated to her in 1630 by Cardinal Frederick of Hesse, bishop of that city and one of her descendants. In the same chapel is preserved the staff on which she leaned when she was driven from Wartburg. A glass out of which she used to drink is preserved at Erfurt. Her wedding dress at Andex with her marriage ring, her prayer book, table, and straw chair. Her veil is shewn at Tancre. In 1833, the Count of Buswaldeck possessed one of the saint's arms, which he had offered to several of the sovereigns of Europe who number her among their ancestors, but without finding a purchaser. None of her relics now remain at Marburg. Tradition says that some of them were buried under the high altar and stolen thence in 1634. No memorial of the saint is now left in the glorious church dedicated to her honor, except a large piece of tapestry representing the history of the prodigal son, which is said to be her work, and which is used by the Lutherans in their communion rite. Through those silent and deserted aisles, not a voice has been raised in her honor for the three dark and desolate centuries which have rolled on since the daily sacrifice has been taken away, and, with the worship of the Lamb, the veneration of those who stand around his throne has ceased out of the land. Her country has denied the faith. The children of those to whom she was a ministering angel think it scorn to ask her motherly protection. Her own descendant, the heir of her princely and holy husband, who laid his sacrilegious hand upon her precious relics, has bequeathed his faithless heresy to his descendants and hers. Thuringia and Hesse have renounced Catholicism. From the old towers of Wartburg, where the fame of Luther has eclipsed that of the saint, the traveler's eye looks in vain for a single church or a single Catholic cottage. In the city where she died, on the marble floor of which may still be traced the footsteps of the devout multitudes who once came to worship at her shrine, her life, her death, her sufferings, and her sanctity are historical facts, and nothing more, and the few Catholics who dwell there have not even a mass upon her feast day. When the Count de Montembert asked the priest of the little Catholic church where, after three hundred years of persecution, mass is now said upon Sundays, whether he offered it up on the feast of St. Elizabeth, he replied that he had never thought of doing so. We will hope that the question was not asked in vain, and that the dear saint is remembered there once a year by her brethren in her faith. In the country of her adoption, her name still lingers indeed, but only as a beautiful and poetical tradition. Elizabeth's garden, Elizabeth's fountain, Elizabeth's bridge, the infirmary, still pointed out by tradition as the spot where she died, the pilgrim stone still marking the resting place of the long files of pilgrims who came to worship at her shrine, all speak of a memory still dear to the hearts of a people who, while they have lost the spiritual instincts which once led them to venerate the saint, still retain the enthusiastic reverence of the German race for all that is pure and noble in women. King Andrew of Hungary died soon after the canonization of his blessed child, his few surviving years being clouded by regret for having so long neglected her and so little appreciated her virtues. Her fervent admirer and champion, Conrad, did not long survive the glorious act of reparation he offered to her memory. His piety, courage, and great modesty led to his being elected Grand Master of the Teutonic Order, which he had entered in a spirit of penance, and he devoted the power and wealth which his position gave him to the construction of the noble basilica erected to the honor of St. Elizabeth at Marburg. In order to superintend the works, he chose that city for his own residence and the central position of his order. He engaged with great courage and energy in the wars of the Teutonic Knights with the heathen in Prussia, and received the investiture of that province from the Pope. Before his death, he desired once more to see Rome, where he was seized by a mortal sickness, 
during which he attained so great a degree of interior purity as to be sensibly pained by the presence of any one in mortal sin. All those who waited upon him were obliged to live in great purity of conscience. One day, when his confessor, a venerable Cistercian abbot, came to his bedside, he found him wrapped in ecstasy. Being asked what he had seen in his vision, the prince replied, I stood before the bar of the eternal judge awaiting my final sentence. I was condemned to five years of purgatory, but my good sister Elizabeth came forward and obtained the remission of my punishment. Know, then, that I shall die of the sickness and go to enjoy eternal glory. He died a few days afterwards, leaving directions that his body should be carried to Marburg and buried near that of his holy sister, in the church which he had founded in her honor. The course of his brother Henry was far different. The evil spirit of ambition again woke within him after the death of St. Elizabeth, and his memory is branded with the suspicion of having murdered his nephew Herman for the sake of his inheritance. At the age of sixteen, this young prince took possession of the dominions of his father, which had till then been governed by his uncle Henry in his name. He soon afterwards went to France to visit St. Louis, by whom he was received with reverential affection as the son of St. Elizabeth. This was a name dearly prized by all her children, who, in their charters and other official acts, were accustomed to prefix to all their worldly titles the glorious name of son or daughter of St. Elizabeth. On his return from France, the young landgrave married Helena, the daughter of Duke Otho of Brunswick, but before the end of two years he was snatched away, at the age of eighteen, from a life which gave every promise of honor and happiness by a sudden illness, commonly attributed to poison administered at the instigation of his unworthy uncle. Before he died, he expressed an earnest desire to be buried by the side of his blessed mother at Marburg, but Henry refused this last request, fearing, with the craven superstition which the wicked take the place of the faith, that his mother would raise him to life again. Had he forgotten her earnestly expressed desire, while yet in life, that the Lord would take her two elder children out of the world in which their lot was cast when he lent himself as the blind and evil instrument of its fulfillment? The body of the murdered prince was laid beside that of his father at Reinhardsbrunn. On the death of Henry, without issue, Thuringia was torn to pieces by a long war of secession. Sophia, the eldest daughter of the landgrave Louis and St. Elizabeth, who was married, as we have seen, to the Duke of Brabant, claimed the inheritance of her father for herself and her son, a child of three years old. Her title was acknowledged without much difficulty in Hesse, which she ruled during her son's minority with great wisdom and vigor, but in Thuringia she met with a formidable competitor in her cousin Henry, Margrave of Misnia, the son of Gouda, sister to the landgraves Louis and Henry. After a long and obstinate struggle in which Sophia displayed the qualities of a heroine and sovereign, the contending parties came to an accommodation, by which the Margrave obtained sovereignty of Thuringia, while Sophia and her son were left in peaceable possession of Hesse. This division subsists at the present day, the present rulers of Hesse and Saxony being descended from the rival princes, whose rights were determined by this treaty. Sophia died in 1284 at the age of 60, after a life devoted to the welfare of her country and family. Her remains repose at Marburg in the same tomb with those of her son, and in the church consecrated to her sainted mother. Her statue is still to be seen there, with the hands joined in prayer, and with the son to whose cause she had so faithfully devoted herself, represented as still in childhood, by her side. The face is worn by the kisses of the pilgrims, who bestowed on her a share of the love they bore her mother. Such was the stormy and troubled life of the only one of the dear saint's children, who was left to battle in the world. Her son, as we have seen, went early to his rest. Her two younger daughters ended their lives peaceably in the shelter she had chosen for them, the one at Kitzingen, the other at Aldenburg. Both became abbesses of their respective communities. Gertrude was elected in 1249 and governed her convent for nearly fifty years, following closely in the footsteps of her mother. Miracles have been attributed to her, and she has always borne the name of blessed. She died at the age of seventy in 1297. Pope Clement VII granted indulgences to those who should celebrate her feast. 
Her tomb is still shewn at Aldenburg, together with some precious memorials of her mother, which she had collected with pious care. The maternal aunt of St. Elizabeth, St. Hedwig, Duchess of Poland and Silesia, survived her. She bore the greatest love and reverence to the young kinswoman, whose name she lived to see numbered among the saints. She preserved one of her veils, which was sent to her as a memorial, with the greatest care, and wore it constantly to the day of her death. St. Hedwig had been married at twelve years of age to Duke Henry of Poland. After the birth of six children, they parted by mutual consent, and Hedwig retired into a convent of Cistercian nuns, of which her daughter was elected abbess. There, with her husband's permission, she took the religious habit, but without binding herself by the vows, either of obedience or poverty, lest she be restricted in the freedom of her almsgiving. She rivaled her holy niece in her humility and her extraordinary mortifications, which seemed scarcely credible in one so delicately nurtured. So great was her humility, that like the Canaanian women, who called forth an exclamation of admiration from her god, she often sought, as her only nourishment, the crumbs which fell from the table of the nuns, whom she delighted to serve. But it was in her unbounded charity and overflowing compassion that she most resembled our dear saint. Her heart was so tender, says her pious chronicler, that she could never see anyone weep without weeping with him, nor could she ever rest if she saw others in trouble or distress. She had always poor persons at her table, whom she served on her knees before she sat down herself. When she thought no one was observing her, she would often kiss the ground upon which the poor had trod, thus honoring in their persons Jesus Christ, the King of glory, who became poor for us. The good duchess would never suffer her vassals or serfs to be pressed for payment of their dues. She made it a point to be present at the tribunals where the causes of the poor were to be heard, and if she saw that the judges were disposed to severity, she employed her chaplain, who always accompanied her, to rectify their sentence. Her husband, who loved her with a most devoted and reverential affection, gave a touching proof of his warm sympathy with her compassion for the poor, by commanding that whenever Hedwig passed before the gates of the public prisons, they should be thrown open and the prisoners set at liberty for her sake. Her fervent piety equaled her tender charity. She daily heard as many masses as there were priests at her court, shedding abundant tears all the while. She had special devotion to our Blessed Mother, to whom she would speak of all her wants and troubles with the simplicity of a child. She had always a little image of her divine patroness with her, which she carried in her hand when she went to visit the sick, and by means of it which it was believed that she wrought many miraculous cures. When her husband was on one occasion taken prisoner by his rival, Duke Conrad, she sought the proud and vindictive conqueror with this little image in her hand. Conrad felt as if he stood in the presence of an angel, and immediately concluded peace at her request, and set the duke, her husband, at liberty. Hedwig soon afterwards lost both this beloved husband and her son Henry, whom she loved with exceeding affection, and who fell as became a Christian prince, in defense of the independence of Europe against the Tartar hordes. She endured both these losses with the calm resignation of a soul whose supreme love rests upon God alone, but she did not long survive them. On the day of Our Lady's Nativity, 1243, the religious who was with her saw a train of beautiful maidens, arrayed in heavenly light, enter the cell and pay their greetings to Hedwig, who seemed to recognize them, for with a face radiant with joy, she exclaimed, Welcome, dear saints and good friends, who are come to see me, Magdalene, Catherine, Thecla, Ursula. Then she spoke in Latin, and the religious could not understand what she said. On the 15th of October following, she breathed her last sigh, giving thanks to God. She was canonized by Pope Clement IV in 1267. When her body was disinterred previous to its translation, the little image of the Blessed Virgin, which she had so much loved, was found still clasped between her fingers. End of chapter 11 of St. Elizabeth of Hungary. End of section 29. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio. End of The Sainted Queens by Unknown.